Okay, welcome to another interview episode of Breakthrough Marketing Secrets. I'm excited for my guest, Craig Andrews. As soon as I saw what he does, I, I just knew that he would be able to provide a ton of value. And as I have gotten to know him a little bit more, I'm absolutely like, yes, perfect. Uh, Craig, let's dive in. You use something called a first-time offer as a critical part of both the B2B and B2C sales process, right? So how can this first-time offer speed up selling, closing the client, closing the customer? So Roy, I've been looking forward to this myself. Thanks for having me. Um, yes. So let me give some context that will really help nail that in. We work exclusively with high-ticket clients. Anybody has a high-ticket offer. And so the, you know, the, the problem is, and especially right now, and I'm hearing this very much in the B2B space, that uh, spending has slowed down, you know, because people are afraid of the economy. Fear just slows people down. When you're asking somebody to make a big ticket commitment, they really get cautious. They really slow down and think through things because they fear making a mistake. You know, so I, I keep a board behind my curtain that has like 188 cognitive biases. And one of the one of the ones that lists there is to avoid irreversible decisions. People preserve, you know, work hard to preserve autonomy and group status. Well, if you sign a five, six, seven figure contract, you just lost a whole bunch of that. And so the process ends up being slower. Well, what we found was if we do this little mini project that we call a first-time offer, you build trust, rapid trust, right at the beginning. And it actually compresses the cycle because they get comfortable with you. The faster they get comfortable with you, the faster they uh, get comfortable signing that big check or that big contract. That sounds excellent, especially today. Um, and I, I so agree, and I look forward to diving in much further, but I do have to do the formal introduction, the bio. So yeah. <laughs> Craig Andrews is the principal ally and founder of marketing agency Allies for Me. Using a proven method that mimics the stages of courtship, Allies for Me helps companies find strangers and convert them into high-paying customers. He uses an eight-stage customer value journey as the framework that leads someone from first contact to post-purchase. Adding value at each and every stage of the journey, starting with that first time offer. And when you do this well, your prospect starts asking you to close the deal. And speaking from experience, yes, uh, this relational framework builds trust faster, it drives revenue faster, and it strengthens customer loyalty after the purchase. Craig and the Allies for Me team are consummate students of psychology, that cognitive bias thing, yes, absolutely, 100%, and use these insights to supercharge sales engines for clients. Now, Craig, um, but we're, we're going to get serious for a second. Uh, you told me ahead of this interview that you have a powerful story where you narrowly, narrowly escaped certain death. And it actually ties into why first-time offers build trust rapidly and lead to high-ticket sales. So let's just let's start with that. Can you share that story? Yeah. So August 10th of 2021, I walked into the emergency room and walked up to the desk and said, I'm having trouble breathing. And they immediately took me behind the curtain, you know, laid me down, put me on oxygen. Uh, my wife had parked the car. I hear her on the other side of the curtain saying, where's my husband? Where's my husband? They say, 
ma'am, you need to leave. This was during COVID. They weren't letting family into the hospital. Jeez. My wife was frantic. I, I could, you know, I certainly couldn't shout, couldn't let her know I was so close, uh, but they wouldn't have let her back anyway. And so they, they ended up admitting me. And about 11 days later, they, uh, they came to me and they said, hey, we're going to give you something that's going to help you sleep tonight. I wish I'd asked what that was. They yeah. ended up shooting me full of morphine. Jeez. Which if you know anything about morphine, it's not great if you're having respiration problems. Yeah. Well, a few hours after that, they called my wife and they said, uh, they heard, she heard me screaming in the background, no ventilator, no ventilator. And they said, well, we need to put him on the ventilator. She said, well, he doesn't want to go on the ventilator. Because at that time, if you went on the ventilator, this was Delta variant. If you went on the ventilator, it was certain death. Everybody died. As a yeah. matter of fact, I'm the first one that left that ICU alive. Um, yeah, and very few followed me. Well, the, my wife said, well, he doesn't want to go on the ventilator. And the, and the doctor laughed at her and he said, well, he'll be dead in 24 hours. And oh. she's, yeah, 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 he was a piece of work. Um, and the, um, and she said, well, how many people have you had survived on the ventilator? And he said, none, none have survived. And, and so they ended up putting me on the ventilator and she said, well, if he's going to die, he's not going to die alone. And they said, well, you can't visit. We're not letting family in. She said, wrong answer. And my, my wife basically bullied the hospital into letting her visit, which I'm so thankful she did because I honestly, I'm not sure I'd be here today if it weren't for her doing that. Yeah. Good for and her. yeah, she was awesome. And so for an hour a day, she came into my room. That's all they gave her was one hour. Uh, but for that hour, she'd come in, she would kind of touch me. She was trying to stimulate all my senses, physical touch to let me know I was there. Uh, she would sing to me, she'd pray over me, and she'd say words of encouragement. And, um, and, and I was out. I was out for six weeks. And beyond all expectations, you know, the doctors kept telling her, he's going to die. They actually had her meet with hospice to plan the day they were going to pull the plug. And, um, but I woke up six weeks later. Now, here's the fascinating thing that happened. In my six-week coma, my view of the doctors plummeted. My trust fell through the floor. Yeah. My trust in my wife went through the roof. Yeah. And this is bizarre. I'm asleep the whole time. And, you know, I, I, um, about a week and a half later, you know, my brain was scrambled for about a week and a half after I first woke up. And I was having to sort truth from reality. And so I called my wife over uh, because I'd been having these dreams. And my these dreams, they were my reality. I believe these things really happened. And I said, I'm going to tell you some things. And I need you to tell me if this really happened. And I said, we've been to Louisiana. And she laughed and said, no, not Louisiana. <laughs> I was like, huh. Because in my world, I was in a resort in Louisiana, convalescing, and you came in to me and you put your hand on my left shoulder and you say, Craig, this is Karen. I'm your wife. It's going to be okay. And she sat back and she looked at me and she said, Craig, I said those exact words when you were in your coma. Yeah. And so it hit me that while the doctors were speaking death and despair 
around me, assuming I couldn't hear. Yeah. My wife was speaking life and hope into me. And it reminds me, and I started putting it together. I was like, you know, it's kind of like that Maya Angelou quote. Yeah. People will forget what you said. They will forget what you did, but they will never forget how you made them feel. And my wife made me feel wonderful and valued. And so when I woke up and the doctor started coming asking, you know, hey, we'd like to do such and such. Um, I just told the doctors, no, I didn't trust them. And so they had to go through my wife. Anytime they wanted to do something to me, they would go to her. She'd come talk to me and she'd say, hey, the doctors want to do this. In hindsight, they were things that were immensely sensible, but you know, my brain was scrambled and I knew I didn't trust the doctors. Yeah. And, you know, the, and as I got out of the hospital and I started processing all that happened, we've been doing these first time offers for several years. I was like, oh my goodness, that's what those offers do. You know, we come in and one of the cornerstones is you actually have to help somebody solve a problem in their life. Yeah. And when you come alongside somebody and you help them solve a problem, it builds trust at insane speeds. And that's sure. where you're speeding up the sales process. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. So is that trust then? I, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I guess, leading with maybe the answer to this next question. Um, is that trust what is broken in high ticket high trust sales that we just expect someone to trust us for, you know, of like you said, five, six figure deal. Um, and they have no reason to do that yet. Yeah. Yeah. There there's, well, here's, here's what I liken it to. It's yeah. kind of like walking into a bar and you see somebody cute on the other side of the bar and you walk up to them and say, Hey, you're kind of cute. Can I get your phone number? What the yeah. heck? Let's just get married. Or something else. I've known yeah. guys try to go for the something else. And the um, and we don't do that because it's inappropriate. You know, yeah. the, you know, the young lady would look at you and say, you're kind of creepy. We go away. And so in our personal relationships, we don't do these things because we know it's overreaching. We know it's inappropriate. But for some bizarre reason, when we're asking somebody to make a uh, $10,000, $50,000, $100,000, or a million dollar commitment. That's exactly what we do. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, you know, either those sales processes can be dragged out to make it, um, to, to, to reach that point where trust is built, right? Or we can accelerate that sales process with the first time offer, right? So what makes a pro like, what is a first time offer? What, what's a properly structured first time offer? Um, yeah. And, and, and what makes this such an effective way to, I, I want to say hack, like I kind of hate the word hack, but, but to hack the, that, that trust building process. Yeah. Well, so Roy, I, I know your audience is they love the direct response world and yes. they love Great minds like Dan Kennedy, Jay Abrams, and um, and so this will make immediate sense. Let me give two examples. Okay. Um, and and if you've read Dan Kennedy's, if you've read much of Dan Kennedy, I guarantee you've probably read one of these. But the first one, um, back when albums were popular the first time, Columbia House Records had this deal where they said, "Give us, we'll give you thirteen albums for a penny." Yes. So if you're the kind of person that wants to build a record collection, 
for one penny, we'll get you 13 steps closer to your goal. <laughs> and um, it was great. And Columbia House Records made tons of money because they enrolled you in their, in their program. And they lost money on the first transaction, made money on every transaction after that. Well, that's a simple offer. And so if you're selling a lower ticket, more simple product or service, that's fine. Uh, yes. And I try, when I first started trying this in my own business, I tried something like that and it failed miserably. And it turns out that you need a first time offer that matches the complexity of your core offer. So here's an example of a complex offer. I read this in a Dan Candy book. And I, I love it because everybody can relate to it. Doesn't matter who you are, what your background is, you understand this offer. So there was a guy named Bob Stupak that bought some dumpy old hotel at the end of the Vegas Strip. And he renamed it Bob Stupak's Vegas World. It's now the Strat. Uh, it was more recently the Stratosphere. You know, so if you've been to Vegas, you, you probably know what, which one we're talking about. But Stupak said, Give me three. Uh, give me three hundred and ninety-six dollars, and I will give you three days and two nights in one of my deluxe suites. When you arrive, there will be a bottle of champagne waiting for you in your room. All of your drinks on property are free, whether you're gambling or not. Even if you're sitting sitting in one of our entertainment lounges, you pay nothing more for your drinks. Not only that, but for your three hundred and ninety-six dollars. I will give you $600 of chips to use in my casino. So if we look at what happened, we just moved from a simple offer to a complex offer. This one has four deliverables. And, yes. we, found, and we found that effective first-time offers have a minimum of three, a maximum of five deliverables. But that, that offer does something else. It's really cool. I love it because it attracts the ideal customer, the most profitable customer, while it repels the other customers. So if you're somebody that likes to drink and gamble, it's hard to say no to that offer. Yeah. Now, I drink, but if, if they're, they're probably not going to pour the wine that will make it worth you know, hundreds of dollars of value to me, they're probably going to give me something that I could buy out of a $10 bottle down at the grocery store. Um, yes. And, and I don't gamble. So it's not a very appealing offer for me. But that's important because there's only so many rooms in that hotel. And he yeah. wants every room filled with somebody who likes to drink and gamble because those are the people he's going to make the most money off of. Yeah, for sure. And the, one of the things I think that the free drinks is going to do is it's going to keep them on site so they can blow right through that $600. And um uh, and even when they've blown through that six hundred dollars, they're not going to go down the street, right? right. They're going to they're going to stick around for the free drinks, and they're going to buy some more chips. And yeah, yeah. Uh, well, and what about when they eat? Are they going to go somewhere else where they have to buy their drinks, or are they going to eat on site where they pay for the food, but the drinks are free? Absolutely. So it's a great first time offer to pe pull people in and get them engaged with the 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 process. I, I love this three to five deliverables thing. What, what did that come out of? Um, so I sort of stumbled into it and, um, you know, I, we were talking earlier in the green room, you know, it seems like we've all eaten from the same tree of knowledge, you know, it's coming off yeah. in different branches. And, 
Um, I'm sure this is somewhere at the base, but you know, somebody kind of threw that out and they say, hey, if you want to make a really powerful offer, uh, you want to have a minimum of three and a maximum of five deliverables. And I started looking at that and I was like, and started processing. I was like, you know, that makes a lot of sense from a number of ways. One, yeah. if you have less than three deliverables, it feels undervalued. You know, it feels underwhelming. And if you have more than five, it overwhelms the brain. You, you know this. We yes. can only process so many things, and the uh, you know confused mind won't purchase. Well, so there's a good little uh, trick of copywriting that you usually want an odd number of bullet points in a group of bullet points, and three to five is really the ideal number. Um, and I would imagine with the offer, you can almost do the main offer plus the three bonuses makes for uh, three bullet points, you know, um, with with like a, a leader. So there is something in the way that the human mind processes odd numbers, small chunks, all of that, that three to five also just makes intuitive sense. So um, so an, an offer like Bob Stupex is, is really compelling, but also from a financial perspective, like I can immediately go to that place where I say, okay, 396, I think you said 396, $600 in chips. That person could go to the cashier and they could cash out those chips and I'm losing money on every person coming in and they could sit there drinking all weekend and I'm losing even more money on every person coming in. That makes me really uncomfortable. So I imagine that might be one reason people don't use a first-time offer like this. Um, is that the main reason, or are there other reasons that people hesitate with this? Yeah, there's there's other reasons. So um, um, I've gotten to the point where if accountants show up, I I, I try to send them away. And I, I had had a lead, had a referral lead come in recently, and it's a guy who's uh, he coaches fractional CFOs. He used to be a fractional CFO. Yeah. And I just told him, I said, hey, look, this is what we're going to be, you know, at some point in our process, we're going to recommend a first time offer to you. Accountants hate it. I just want you to know, you know, fair warning. We're, yeah. we're going to ask you to take some of the lifetime value out of the customer and devote it to customer acquisition. And if that's going to bother you, please don't call me, you know, because there's something in the accountant's mindset where they just can't get through that. Uh, and I've got a buddy, I think the world of him, he, you know, when I was in the hospital, he's the one that made sure my employees got paid. They, he made sure my wife knew how much money we had. He made sure she got paid. Um, you know, he stood in, for, he took care of my family when I couldn't. I think yeah. the world of this guy. But I just wanted to slap him silly here recently. Um, he... You know, we were sitting around. He was talking about a a new service he wanted to offer to his clients, where you pay him three hundred dollars a month, and uh, he will keep your books in line all year long, and he'll file your taxes for you. You know, and there won't be any additional fee for filing the taxes. And he told me about that in February of twenty twenty three. You know, shortly before the business filing is due on, on March 15th. And he was looking for some feedback. And I asked him, I said, hey, if um, if you had five new clients show up out of the blue for this, could you service them? He's like, yeah, yeah. I said, could you do their taxes? He said, yeah, yeah. I said, all right, here's your offer. You go out and you offer um, 
to do their 2022 taxes for $300 if they enroll in this program. Yeah. And, and he just looked at me and said, no, I can't do that. I'll be leaving too much money on the table. And I was like, yes, but you have new customers. You have this revenue stream and they're going to make a lot of money for you. He's like, no, 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 I can't do that. I'll be leaving too much money on the table. Well, no kidding. I think it was three months or four months later, I was talking to him and he was celebrating enrolling the first person in that program. Yeah. I'm like, dude, you just left thousands of dollars on the table because your accounting brain couldn't move that lifetime value over into the acquisition bucket. Yeah, it, it was it was the desire for the immediate revenue and profits versus the desire for the long-term relationship. Yeah, which which goes back to that initial conversation about, you know, oh, nice to meet you. Would you like to get married versus um, nice to meet you? Would you like to have coffee sometime, right? Um, yeah, okay. So what goes into an irresistible first time? Like, um, what do I want to say? Okay, if we're if if we're thinking about this, you said that you do some B two C, but mostly you do B two B, and we're talking higher ticket offers. Uh, what's what's kind of the thinking process behind building an irresistible first time offer? Like if if you were going to sit down, maybe not with me, maybe with some other client about um, structuring this. What's the process that we would go through to figure this out? Yeah. So let, let me give you kind of a quick high-level framework, and I guarantee you, you're going to recognize it immediately. Your listeners are going to recognize it immediately, at least like the core. So it has to be an impulse purchase. It means coins in the cushion, the couch, money in the wallet, or the B2B equivalent of it. Yeah. Here, here's more importantly, if they, if whoever you're presenting this offer to has to ask permission to spend the money, you've priced it too high. <laughs> because yeah. what you're trying to do is you're trying to remove all the risk out of taking that next step forward. And in the B2B situation, we usually target um, below $500 just because most people in an organization with any decision-making authority can spend $500 and nobody's ever going to hunt them down on how that money is spent. Yeah. And so you're taking the risk out. So that's the first thing. The next thing is it has to deliver a disproportionate amount of value to price. We saw that in the Columbia House Records. We saw that in Bob Stupak's example. We aim for 10x. So if we're doing a B2B offer at 500, we're trying to pack $5,000 of real value in it. Not this fictitious value that, you know, your mom said, oh, you're so smart. That's worth, <laughs> you know, you're, that's worth $1,000 by itself. Yeah, no, none of, the, none of the false value stacking. I'm talking serious, legit. If they were to go out and purchase this on the open market, they would be paying 10 times the price. Yes. The next thing is uh, it has to solve a problem. And again, I'm sure you're like, yeah, I've heard all this before. But here's one thing um, we would say, if it doesn't solve a problem, it's not delivering value. And yeah. the, the number one thing I see when I tell people this, they're like, oh, we'll do an audit. Uh, other people say we'll do an assessment, which is a nice word for an audit. There's a couple of problems with that. An audit or an assessment or whatever you want to call it doesn't solve a problem. It just highlights the problems that are there. And I've found that there's a limited number of people in this world that want to invite me in 
to critique them. Yeah. To list all your, all their problems. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Craig. Um, actually, so, so there is value to listing the problems, but it has to lead to the solution, right? Um, it has to be, so, so, hey, Craig, here's all your problems or, hey, Craig, um, I'm seeing these challenges and here's how you can solve them, right? Uh, or, or am I completely off base for what, what you're looking to do here with the first time offer? No, it's. No, and, and no, and you're, you're asking, Roy, you're asking such an important question. During the delivery of the first time offer, by golly, if they don't walk away realizing they had more problems than they thought they had, <laughs> you've failed. You know? Yes. It, but it's more of a matter of how you do that. And you okay. don't want to make you don't want to make the spearhead of it. Hey, we're going to do this audit and pull out all these things. You want to actually promise to solve a problem. Now you can package in there. We we've banished the word audit. You know, we we use the word gap analysis. Um, okay. Yeah. Which which is another polite word, but it just at least seems I can put it in a more constructive context of hey, we want to figure out what you have in place and figure out what's missing, so so we can identify the things to add in there. It's again, it's more in the context of solving a problem. But the other thing is if they can come to the realization of um of their of their unaware problems all the better so today i'm expecting i was expecting to come through uh now i'm signing a high ticket deal today with somebody who was a complete stranger 3 or 4 weeks ago i forget what it was it's like probably about 3 and a half weeks we had never met we had never talked we go from first conversation to today they're signing a high ticket um, offer or high ticket uh, commitment. And in the process of delivering our first time offer, we just did some exercises where we'd ask questions and they were reasonable questions. And it was very clear that we were there to help them, but we're strategic in the questions we're asking. And yeah. in asking those questions, they start realizing Oh, I'm missing something here. And it's not the, you know, it's not the poorly thought out cheesy sales questions like, you know, well, what's the cost of inaction? You know, if you don't take action today, yeah. you know, I, I I get the strategy and the psychology behind those questions, but I think anybody who's buying anything has heard that. And as soon as they hear that question, they know they're being sold. And as soon as they know they're being sold, their guard goes up. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so in terms of helping them discover new problems, absolutely. And that's when you, that's one of the things that we actually engineer into the process. As a matter of fact, this is, so let me hit a couple of things. You have to solve a problem, but you obviously want to leave problems unsolved and you want to leave the big problems unsolved so they buy the, your high ticket item and you want to lead to the next step, the high ticket item. But one of the things in the three to five deliverables we discovered one of the deliverables should be the product of a co-working session, a workshop where they primarily contribute to the outcome. You know, you're there to ask the questions. You're there to kind of guide the discussion. Think of it as a counselor. You know, yeah. counselors could be a lot more efficient. You know, if you walked in their office in five minutes, all right, here's the ways you're screwed up. You're, you know, you, you're, you're a narcissist. Uh, you, you know, you're, here's your problems. Go work on those. Well, those counselors don't change lives. Um, the counselors that sit there and listen and ask questions, 
and help you get to the point where you realize, oh, you know what? I think this is an issue for me. Those are the ones that have the biggest impact. And so when, when one of the three to five deliverables is a product of a workshop where you're just kind of, you're providing the bumper guard, you're providing the framework for them to come to the right answers. And they're the ones that provide the answers. A couple of things happen. You trigger uh, at least two cognitive biases, the IKEA effect and the endowment effect. So they value it more highly. The other thing that happens is when it comes to, and by golly, your last deliverable had better be uh, painting the, the step forwards the, the, in the yeah. next steps. Um, for them to reject that would require that they reject their own work, which most people won't do. That's, that's excellent. So by working alongside of them to help them identify the next steps, the solutions that they need most, um, and maybe an overview of what those solutions, like what needs to be true for those solutions to happen, what you're doing is you're getting an enormous amount of buy-in. So the only, <laughs> the only thing that that they can do to maintain that consistency is to move forward towards creating those solutions. Yeah. Oh, and I love your language. You know, I mean, you just hit on Cialdini's consistency. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, so explain what you're thinking there, because I think that's so important, so critical to this process. So if, if, if I start to consult with you um, about, you know, developing my first time offer and you, you, you look at my process and you say, well, uh, it doesn't look like you have a great first time offer yet. So let's, let's work on that. Um, and we work together and I help define what that needs to be, but I'm maybe not completely sure how to actually implement that over the next four weeks or whatever. Um, then if I have designed what that needs to be, but I need help implementing it, then the only thing that makes sense is like, I need to spend the next, those four weeks implementing it, right? And I'm going to need help. And because I have designed it with you, uh, the consistency principle says, like, you want to follow through, you want to uh, stand by your word, you want to be the person who you presented yourself to be. So as we've created that together, it only makes sense then that, okay, let's take the next steps together. And you just made the sale. You, you know, that, that um, initial promise, your, your prospect starts asking you to close the deal. That's what happens. And yeah. Yeah. And yeah. That, that's also, and there's another place where consistency comes in as well, because by golly, you should charge for your first time offer. Quit giving away crap for free. Um, and there's some reason we, we can talk about that, but once you've converted them to a customer, you know, it doesn't matter how much money they pay you. When they pay you money, they are a customer. And yeah. consistency says they're, the probability of them acting like a customer in the future goes up greatly when they've acted like a customer in the past. Yeah. Well, and that's why that's why so many direct marketers, like the Columbia House example, they work so hard to get you to even spend a penny because then there's that commitment. If um you know, if somebody buys, for example, there's that free book offer that's used so often when somebody buys the free book, they're much more likely to buy a course. 
um, when they've made some kind of purchase, they're just much more likely to spend more with you because they have already stepped into that customer role. And um, one of the challenges for, for example, for people like agencies or service providers or marketing creatives is that if there's if it's either you know twenty thousand dollar project or forty thousand dollar project or whatever or nothing, right? There's there's nothing in between that. So you're going to you have this high probability that you're just going to spend a bunch of time trying to pitch people, trying to convince people, trying to find that person who's going to spend that. Versus, um, yeah, I've been I've been playing a lot recently, kind of behind the scenes with this pay to pitch process or paid to pitch, and that's that's essentially what this does is we can have a short conversation. We can figure out if we're a fit, like the accountant, for example. Okay, well, I'm I'm looking to work with businesses that are in this range, right? And that have this ongoing need. And if you are a fit, and we can figure this out in a quick 15-minute conversation, the first step is I'll just do your taxes from last year for this price if you enroll in this ongoing service, right? Because a good accountant is somebody who's with you 12 months out of the year. And so I'm actually getting paid to pitch, but in that case, I'm just doing the taxes, like it's the first thing, or whatever the appropriate first time offer is, I'm getting paid to pitch you on the next level, right? Yeah. Um, well, cool. So uh, not everybody loves sales. Yeah. How does this change the sales process? Um, what does a first-time offer do for someone who who doesn't like sales, doesn't like selling, feels really uncomfortable when they pitch their high-level offer, whether it's five thousand or you know, fifty thousand or five hundred thousand or whatever? Well, you're describing me. Uh, okay. And this, I <laughs> suck at sales. I'm horrible at sales, yeah. and the. You know, and for me, I had to do this. I had to come out with this as a matter of survival. Uh, I mean, I was going hungry. And the, you know, I'd done all these different sales trainings. I tried the different sales line. I felt icky. It didn't resonate with me. I didn't feel like I was being authentic and genuine. And it didn't work. And so the, um, the big thing, and, and and I was just telling somebody this the other yesterday, yesterday afternoon, uh, the person who signed that that big contract right now. Um, I said, do not put a sales quota. Do not give your sales team a sales quota on selling first time offers. It's going to screw it up from so many angles. And so one of the angles is you want the first time offer to be a filter. I mean, if we think back to Bob Stupak's uh, goal, um, you know, offer. They didn't want to talk me into that hotel because I wasn't going to gamble. They weren't going to make as much money off me as they could. They would just lose money off me. I would just be yeah. money lost. Okay. Uh, you know, so they wanted to put somebody else in that room. And so it's a filter. So that's one reason why you don't try to sell it. You just present it. Uh, the, uh, the other reason is unless you're a bona fide sociopath, when you have an internal need to sell, it changes your body language. It changes your tone of voice. And customers pick up on that. And as yes. soon as they sense it, even, and they may not even know, I mean, it's, you know, it's triggering, it, triggering alarms in their, their amygdala and the, in the, their system one thinking where they're like, something's going on here. I'm scared. You scare me. I'm going, 
uh, act guarded. And so only a bona fide sociopath can hide that body language. And so what we tell people is we say, look, your job um, in the typical sales process that we recommend is spend a few minutes asking questions, very carefully calibrate questions. We call them priming questions that help prime the mind for certain things. Then present what you do and then make the offer. And we say, don't even price out the offer until they ask. You know, you just sit there and say, well, hey, you know, this is what we tell people. Hey, we, we start everything with a mini project. Here's what that mini project looks like. And we go through it. And at the, uh, at the end of that, we just kind of go quiet. We don't, we, don't, we don't say, we don't price it out. We wait and we just say, hey, do you have any questions? And that's where we start getting a read on, you know, who we're dealing with. Uh, and what I've found is when we, um, when we, when we price out, you know, they'll say, well, how much is this? By the way, this ties back into the three to five. When I, one of the adjustments I made a few years ago was breaking out. I didn't change the number of things I was delivering, but I changed the way I presented it. It looked like this one big mushy mess of crap. Yeah. And I broke it into individual deliverables and I saw that increase the perceived value of what we were doing it by breaking it out into different deliverables also made it more clear. Um, and usually at that point, people, it's funny. I can see them, their lips almost quivering. They're like, well, how much is this? And I say, well, if you come back in a few weeks, um, the price will be, and we usually say, you know, 3,497 or 4,497, something like that. And then we tell them, and this is hundred percent true. This is not a gimmick. This is the honest truth. I said, one of our core values is decisiveness. We find that we work best with decisive people. And the other thing is we believe our first engagement with someone should be less than $500. So if this is something you want to move forward with, I'll add in a discount um, today and bring it down to $497. And then I go quiet again. And I just leave it for them. And it's funny, in those few seconds, I can tell, I know in those first seconds after I price it out, I can tell if they will ever purchase a high ticket offer. Yeah, I get that. Um, How can you tell? It's all in their body language. It's all in their body language. Um, The... Um, and it's funny, the, you know, okay. Uh, let's, let's role play for a second. So yeah, you just yeah, priced yeah. it out. You just priced it out for me and. Okay. Um, Craig, it, it sounds like it's probably, I, I don't know. That's, that seems really valuable. I think, I think I'm going to want to make that decision. And, um, can I, can I get a hold of you? like tomorrow or maybe later this week about uh, moving forward with this and still get that price? So I tell you what, um, as soon as we hang up, I'll drop something in your in, in, um, email. Uh, it's, you know, all you have to do if you want to move forward. Um, it's there. Uh, it expires tomorrow night. Okay. Sleep on it. I want you to feel comfortable uh, about this. Um, and there's no need to contact me. If, if you want to move forward, just act on that and we'll get started. 
If not, no worries. And am I going to buy tomorrow? Uh, usually <laughs> the people who have to sleep on it usually don't. <laughs> All right. Uh, on, on the other side. Okay. That's um, we're, we're on zoom here that you said it's 497. If I do it right. Yeah. Uh, can, can, could you drop that link in the chat? Like, um, yeah. I, I'm going to buy, right? Like, right. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So, so like that's, it's good to recognize in this kind of consultative type selling environment that um, there's going to be a lot of people, well, depending on how well you disqualify ahead of this call, right? Uh, you're, you may have a high percentage or a lower percentage that just are not the type of person who are going to be buyers. And you could spend the next five weeks trying to follow up with that person who's like, uh, can I maybe make a decision later this week about this? Or you can not do that and you can you can get them to take it or or you can you can instead of following up with those people you can find the next person um and 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 get a ton more value out of your selling process yeah and you know the one thing i don't do in this i don't write yeah. a proposal i haven't written a proposal in years yeah well is- i know we're bo- we're both students of Kennedy, and I know that he hates that language a proposal. You know, if 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 you're going to do anything for a bigger project, you're going to call it an action plan. But in this case, you're making uh, such a such a productized, simple offer. That uh, simple is maybe not the right word, but it's but it's a it's a it's a visible and obvious offer. Um, and because it's productized, there there should not be a proposal, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Um, it- and the and the you know usually our fifth deliverable is that action plan, which guess what? I know this will shock you. We give two, we usually give three options priced at three different levels. And we usually take the three little bears, you know, scenario. You know, the high level we throw in, we're like, um, we'll we'll have coffee delivered to your office on Mondays. You know, we just throw everything in there that we can possibly imagine. And yes. um and then on the uh, the low t- uh, low ticket thing, um, we try to leave out we try to leave out something out of the low ticket one that's extremely valuable, extremely desirable. And so it kind of yeah, it naturally steers them in into that. And it's it's interesting. I've had people that have surprised me and bought the high ticket one, and I've had people surprise me and buy the low ticket one. Um, the, um, low ticket one would be a cheap bastard. Um, (laughs) and, and, and you know what, you asked something earlier, where, where are some barriers, where are some things that, um, people push back on, you have to be willing, you have to go into this saying, you know what, there's some people that are just going to get a screaming good deal, go away and never be a customer. You have to be okay with that. Uh, and, and you can't focus on that. You have to focus on the greater thing. Uh, and here's here's a great story that makes that point. Uh, or do you know who Roy Williams is? Roy H. Williams? Yeah, Wizard of Ads. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I'll see him tonight. Um, he, um, I'll be out of the academy. He's he's um, he tells a story. You know, and for for those of your audience that don't know, he's he's more of a radio guy. Uh, but if if he takes you on as a client, you know. Start shopping for your boat, your ranch, whatever it is that you've been waiting for, because you're about to be a very, very wealthy person. And um, the um, 
he had some my years ago that uh, back when frozen custard was a new thing, they they say, hey, can you help us advertise frozen custard? And he's like, yeah, of course. Uh, and they, he's just talking to him. They said, um, he said, what's uh, they, they they said if somebody tastes our custard, we know they will come back as a customer. We know they will. And he said, what's my budget? And they gave him a budget. And he said, all right, here's how I'm going to use the budget. I want you to go spend this much on supplies for making frozen custard. We're not going to spend that on advertising. You're going to go buy supplies for making frozen custard. And on this day, we're going to run radio ads all day long, all day long, advertising free custard at your shop. And that's what they did. And they sold way or you know they 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 uh, gave away way more custard than they ever imagined uh yes. and, and the business just blew up it exploded and um um and grew and yeah. um but as the guy opened up other locations he refused to do that and Roy's like why he's like you know i saw these old bastards they come up they get their frozen custard and while they're still eating the custard, they go around and get back in line to get another frozen custard. Those chiseling bastards. I'm never running this promo again. It put them on the map. It made them tons of money, but they couldn't yeah. get over the fact that a few people were cheating them. You have to look at the big picture, not the not the small picture. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I do have a hard stop at the end of our recording time here. So I want to make sure that we are able to adequately cover the next actions that people need to take here if they want to build their own first-time offer. And I think that you've done a lot to motivate folks, but people can definitely go deeper here. Um, and so you have a, a free guide and a 23-day access to a self-paced course, both to help us develop our own irresistible first-time offer. Can you, you shared that there's a reason for the 23 days. Yeah. Uh, so can you let us know the first, why we should do this, what we're going to get, and then why only 23 days access. Yep. So the, you know, when I started on this, um, I, you know, I started from a body of knowledge of, hey, here's what you do. And, you know, a lot of what I said was where I was starting, but I screwed up. My first off, uh, offer failed. My second offer failed. My third offer failed, just not as much. I mean, it <laughs> took me 18 months to finally get this thing working and then we've refined it for five years since then and um and so the guide hopefully helps you avoid some of the mistakes i made uh and the course is another way of breaking it down uh, the reason we limit the course to 23 days uh i'm sure I, i'll tell you i've done this i've signed up for somebody's free course i've never logged into it it's never changed my life i haven't benefited from it we're in the business of changing lives and we know that if we put a hard limit on that time, that people will actually co go in there and consume the content. We see it in the analytics. So it's 23 days. That gives you plenty of time to go through the course. Um, we do want it to change your life. We do want it to change the way high ticket sales is done. Excellent. Excellent. Well, the link is going to be in, in the description. That's probably the best way to get to um, to get directly there. I will read the URL to you so that you know it. If you want to type it in, it's allies, A-L-L-I-E-S, for the number four, me. That's alliesforme.com slash breakthrough marketing. 
alliesforme.com slash breakthrough marketing. Again, that link's in the description if you just want to tap it or click it to get there. And that's where you sign up. You get the you get the guide, you get the 23 days access so you can go out there, you can implement. And in 23 days or less, you can be launching your irresistible first time offer and connect with Craig even deeper. Um, that's all at alliesforme.com slash breakthrough marketing. Craig, Thank you so much for being on Breakthrough Marketing Secrets. This is a ton of value. It was a wonderful conversation. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Roy, it's been a delight. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And to everyone who's who's been here, I would love to hear at least one action item, one takeaway that you're going to apply from this lesson. You can leave that comment with the episode and I'll see you again in the next episode. See you soon. Thank you once again for tuning in to this daily episode of Breakthrough Marketing Secrets. Remember, check out the links with this episode for even more value. Now make sure you like, comment, share, subscribe, and engage in every way you can to keep this show going and growing and delivering daily value to you. I'll catch you soon for your next big breakthrough.